It's unfortunate that over the centuries, Christianity has been characterized as the religion for the simpletons, for the lesser educated, for, for those who are less in society. I think in part that character, character I, I stumbled over that word this morning, that characterization of Christianity, I think in part, I think in part comes from, comes from the fact that there are simply things in biblical Christianity that cannot logically be explained or reasonably dealt with. Take, for example, uh, the thing that we are here celebrating this morning, the festival of the Holy Trinity. Today we are celebrating the fact that our God, as he reveals himself in Scripture, exists as one God in three persons, three persons and one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. We can't logically explain how that works. We can't rationally understand how that all fits together, and yet it's a truth that our God gives us to believe. And that's where people start to attack, isn't it? How can you possibly believe in something that you can't explain? How can you, how can you possibly cling to something that you can't rationally understand? I think the other part of the, this characterization, I'm not going to even try to attempt that word again, another part of that characterization comes from the fact that biblical Christianity is mysteriously simple. Right? It just is. But sometimes it seems too simple to be believable. It seems too good to be true, too straightforward to be credible. You know, like how in all the world can forgiveness of sins and eternal life be mine without me having to do a single thing? How can my entrance into the kingdom of God have absolutely nothing to do with me? How can me being a child of God, an heir to eternal life, a co-heir with Christ, as, as the Apostle Paul put it in our second reading, how can that just be given to me as a gift of love? It's, it's too simple. Too simple to, to be true, too, too good to be believable, too, too straightforward to be credible. It's, it's mysteriously simple, and it, it's that mysterious simplicity that people have a problem with including a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a learned man. Logically and rationally and religiously, there was hardly anyone better than him, and that's evidenced by the fact that he was a man who sat on the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin. The Jewish ruling, ruling council was, was made up of 71 men who decided all matters of faith and life for the Jewish religious community. All things. Now, some of the Jewish ruling council had caught wind of this man named Jesus who had been teaching and preaching and performing miracles. I mean, he was doing things that no man could do, that no man should be able to do, and in their own eyes, says the Sanhedrin, that no man should be doing, at least not without their permission. Now, some of the Jewish ruling council, and you see this later on in the Gospels, they wanted to do nothing more than to shoo Jesus away and, and to get rid of him, and eventually they plotted to kill him and succeeded. Um, but there were some on that Jewish ruling council who were incredibly curious about this man. And out of curiosity, Nicodemus, he goes to Jesus at night. He says, Rabbi, we know that you must be a teacher sent from God. Because no man could be performing the things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus' response seems to have nothing to do with what 
with what Nicodemus says. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Confused and a little frustrated, Nicodemus says to Jesus, how, how can a man be, be, be born again? It doesn't make any sense. A man cannot enter his mother's womb when he is old and be born again. You see, Nicodemus heard what Jesus said, but logically and rationally, rationally and reasonably, it simply made no sense to him. Jesus, you're kind of off your rocker here. A man can't enter back into his mother's womb, especially an old man like me, but any man, young, young or old, can't go back into his mother's womb to be born again. Jesus, what you're saying makes no sense. It's impossible. And what I find interesting is that Jesus doesn't chide him for asking his question. Instead, he takes Nicodemus to a deeper level, doesn't he? I tell you the truth. No one can enter. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Jesus gets to the very heart of the issue when it comes to the kingdom of God, doesn't he? He's not talking about physical rebirth. He's talking about spiritual rebirth. In order for somebody to be in the kingdom of God, he must be born of water and the Spirit. And Jesus even tells him why that's a necessity. He says flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, sinful parents give birth to sinful children. Sinful children inherit a sinful nature from their parents. And so it, it necessitates having God, not the human being, having God bring that person into the kingdom of God. It's got to be the way it works. Nicodemus is still a little confused and doesn't, doesn't quite get what Jesus is saying. He says, how can this be? How can the kingdom of God work this way? Because it's all too simple. You see, you see the way that Nicodemus understood the kingdom of God, the way that he had always been taught about the kingdom of God, the way that he had taught it to other people, was that the kingdom of God wasn't something that happened outside of you. It wasn't something that happened that was given to you by somebody else. It was something that happened here. It had everything to do with you. The kingdom of God had everything to do with who you are and what you did and what you had to offer God. That's how your entrance into the kingdom of God happened. And now all Jesus is saying is, truly, I tell you, no one, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless God himself brings you in. When he asks that question, how can it be? He's, he's really wondering, can it really be that simple? How can it be that simple? Which is how many in the world and even you and I at times in our Christian walk can feel. Because it seems way, way too simple. It seems mysteriously simple. Because the kingdom of God, it's got to be a, a conscious choice that we make, doesn't it? Our entrance into the kingdom of God, it's got to be, it's got to be based on, on us living better and doing better and thinking better, at least better than we did the day before, because in thinking and living and doing better, well, then we have something to hold on to, something we can point to God to and say, hey, look, I've, I've brought myself here and I deserve to be here. Do you know why that logically and rationally makes sense to us, that the kingdom of God would work that way? Because every other aspect of our lives works that way. Every other aspect of our lives, it works that way because we have to do something. All of the things we have, the place that we are in life, it all came as a result of the hard work that we put in. Logically, that makes sense to us. And rationally, we want the kingdom of God to work that way because then we would certainly have that tangible thing for us to hold on to 
to be able to point to God and say, I deserve to be here. And if this is the way that we want the kingdom of God to work, if this is the way that logically and rationally it would make sense for the kingdom of God to work, we must ask ourselves, how are we defining it? How are we defining the kingdom of God? Are we defining it as scripture puts it? That the kingdom of God is anywhere that the Holy Spirit is working through his word to create and strengthen faith? Or is the kingdom of God anywhere that human beings are working to curry favor with God so he gives a more generous outpouring of his Holy Spirit and his gifts? Maybe let me ask it a simpler way. Is the kingdom of God about the work that God does for you? Or is it about the work that you do for God? Are you okay with the way that Jesus reveals that Jesus reveals the way that forgiveness and eternity in the kingdom of God works? Or is it too mysteriously simple, so simple in fact that it makes you a little bit uneasy? Really, it all comes down to this and to this alone. Do you trust God enough to let God be God and to let the mysterious simplicity of his kingdom and your forgiveness and your eternity stand as he reveals it? Or is it too simple for you to let it stand? And you've got to find a way to rationally and logically, according to human reason, make it work. Now, what makes the way that the kingdom of God works a mystery and the way that our forgiveness and eternal life is one, what makes all of that a mystery is, is not the way that God accomplished it. I mean, Jesus, in his conversation with Nicodemus, reveals how God accomplished that. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Those words are, are words that undoubtedly almost every single person in here has heard, and probably many of you could recite from heart, God so loved the world, this passage we had to memorize as kids. Right? In these passages, Jesus shows us exactly how our salvation, our forgiveness, our eternal life, our entrance into the kingdom is one. God the Father looked on us in love. And in that love, he decided not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And the way he saved the world was by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus is true God from eternity, equal to the Father in every single way. And he came into this world, taking on flesh and blood for the explicit purpose of winning for you forgiveness. He would, just as Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness to save his people from the from the poisonous venom, so Jesus was lifted up to give his life to save his people from the venom of sin. When he gave up his life, forgiveness was won, entrance into the kingdom of God was opened, salvation was accomplished. And with all of that work complete, there needed to be a way for sinners to be given that gift, the gift of forgiveness, and be brought into, brought into the kingdom. So God the Father and God the Son send God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is equal to God the Father and equal to God the Son in every single way. Uncreated, infinite, eternal, equal in glory, co-eternal in majesty. Just as Jesus, God the Son, was sent into this world to win for us salvation, so God the Holy Spirit is sent into this world to give to us salvation. And Jesus explains to Nicodemus why. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh. Sinful people give birth to sinful children. 
And this truth that Jesus proclaims has implications for us, two big ones, actually. Implication number one of the truth that flesh gives birth to flesh is that sinful people, like you and me, cannot in any way, shape, or form pay for any of our sins or make ourselves right with God. It just can't work that way. Because even on our best days, with our best deeds that we present to God, they are still tainted with sin, and as Isaiah says, they're like filthy rags before God. Implication number two of that truth that flesh gives birth to flesh is that sinful human, sinful human beings cannot on their own choose the things of God. They just simply never would. They would never choose to be part of the kingdom of God. They would never choose on their own forgiveness. They would never choose on their own life. Sinful people always choose what comes most naturally to them, which is sin. And this is why God sends his spirit. He sends his spirit because no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Look, the way our God works is not in a vacuum. He works through these accessible means. The Holy Spirit works in the simplest of ways with, with a few drops of water connected to his powerful word. And it's through baptism that God plants faith in your heart, a simple trust in Jesus. And it's faith that gives you entrance into his kingdom. And it's also through faith that God gives you all of the gifts that his son, Jesus Christ, won on the cross, whom he sent in love into this world. It's simple. But it's mysteriously simple. It's a little too simple, isn't it? And that's what Nicodemus thought, which is why he asked, how can this be? How can my forgiveness and my standing with God have nothing to do with me? How can my entrance into the kingdom of God be purely a gift of love and have nothing to do with what I can offer, what I bring to the table of the kingdom? How can my eternity, how can my eternity rest solely in someone else's hands? And though I don't deserve it, he, he gives it to me anyway. We wrestle with this, and with Nicodemus, we ask, how can this be? Which is, sadly, it's exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to ask that question, how can this be, over and over and over again, until you either work yourself into disbelief, or, just as bad, work yourself into some, some mixed bag of cooperation between you and God that logically makes sense to human reason and rationally can be explained about how you get into the kingdom and how you have the forgiveness of sins. How can this be? The answer to that question, really it lies wrapped up in the mystery and the heart of the God who won your salvation. Jesus shows it to us. As Jesus was talking with Nicodemus and taking him deeper and deeper after each of his questions, he, he eventually reveals what is most important. He reveals the heart of his Father. God so loved the world. You see, the heart of God is, is nothing but love. Pure, unadulterated, unfathomable, unimaginable, arrow-pointing-down love. God's love for you is so deep. It's so deep that 
it caused him to sacrifice that which he loved most for people who don't love him at all. God's heart is so overflowing with love that when we rebelled, he didn't condemn us. Instead, he, he came up with a way to save us and created a kingdom that is so backwards to the, rest, the way the rest of the world works and, and it defies all logic and human reason. God's heart is so filled with love for you that he gives you entrance into his kingdom. An entrance that you don't deserve and you certainly couldn't work for and yet he, he gives it to you anyway. God's heart is so teeming over with love that when people like you and me, like Nicodemus, wrestle with the mysterious simplicity of his kingdom and our forgiveness and our eternal life, he patiently and lovingly explains it to us. Just like he did to Nicodemus, I so loved the world that I gave my one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then he uses that explanation, that simple explanation, to strengthen the faith that he gave you and keep you in his kingdom. It's simple. It's beautifully and mysteriously simple. The character of Nicodemus I find, I find really fascinating in the, in the narrative of the Gospels. Because in him we're given a picture of, of all Christians across the centuries, including you and me, who have, who have ever struggled with how simple the Gospel really is. Right? What happened to Nicodemus after this interaction at night with Jesus? Do you know? He embraces, by a spirit-wrought faith, the mysterious simplicity of the gospel. Right? God brought him into the kingdom. He was born again. God planted faith in his heart. And do you know the next time, the next time we encountered Nicodemus in the narrative of Jesus' life and ministry? It's three years later. Three years later, we're, we're told about him putting the spirit-worked faith on display. He, along with Joseph of Arimathea, were the two men who took Jesus' body down off the cross and anointed it with spices and buried it. After Jesus, the eternal Son of God, gave up his life in love to save humanity. Nicodemus came loaded with questions. And God worked a faith in his heart that embraced the mysterious simplicity of the gospel. And I have no doubt that Nicodemus will be one with whom we are standing in the throne of heaven as we praise and glorify our one true God. I also like Nicodemus for maybe a little more practical of a reason for my day-to-day -day life and my Christian walk. You know why? Because Nicodemus shows us that it's okay to ask questions. The reality is, as Christians, our knowledge of God the way that God works and what he has done for us and how we are to live, we'll never be perfect on this side of heaven. And there are going to be days where we struggle with both the deep truths and the simple truths that God reveals to us. And Nicodemus, he shows us, he shows us exactly, what, uh, or exactly that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask, how can this be? How can this be so simple? How can this be so beautiful? How can this be for me? Because what happens when Nicodemus asks those questions? Jesus answers them. Unfortunately, though, across the centuries, Christians have been given this idea or this notion that they just need to show up in a pew on a Sunday morning and be silent and submissive. And if you were to ask a question, 
well, then that somehow is sin against God. It's complete garbage. Complete and total and utter garbage. I pray that you never give in to that notion. And it is also my prayer that, like Nicodemus, you, you have the confidence, the God-given confidence to come and ask questions. Ask a lot of questions. Ask questions of God. Ask questions of one another. Come to me and ask questions. The Apostle Peter, he points out the fact that, that our entire lives as Christians are, one, are to be ones of growth. He gives us the imperative, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of that process of growing is asking questions. Because questions lead to answers. Answers lead to growth. Now, when we do find ourselves asking questions, we need to be ready for Jesus to give us an answer. Because Jesus promises that he, in his word, he does give us the answers that we are looking for, as long as it's necessary and it's something we need to know. And sometimes the answers that Jesus gives, they maybe don't sit so well with us. They maybe make us a little uncomfortable. They're maybe countercultural. But those are the answers that Jesus promises to give. Jesus promises to give us every answer that we need to help us understand the mysterious simplicity of his kingdom and our forgiveness and our eternal life. And when he does finally give you the answers, cling to him. Cling to the beautifully simple truths of the gospel. Cling to the mysterious, simple way that the kingdom of God works. Because these mysteriously simple truths, as we're going to confess in a moment, they are the true Christian faith. God grant it. Amen.